0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners,
1: and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections, welcome to the Rhino Cast Podcast brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And Balloons for the Kitties. And now, your hosts with the most Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace.
2: On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we speak with David Coverdale about Whitesnake's new album, Flesh and Blood, the Slided In Ultimate Collection celebrating the album's 35th anniversary, and their current world tour. Rich. Hey, Dennis. Do you know where I am right now? Oh, I could hazard a guess.
0: I am on the interwebs at rhino.com.
2: And there's good reason to stop by regularly because it's updated daily with music news, regular features like album of the day. This day in music history. Yep. And they have exclusive merch and music bundles that you just cannot get anywhere else. Dennis, are you ready to rock? You know, Rich, here we go again. (laughs) You just gave it away because we do have one of the grand empresarios of rock on the show today, none other than White Snake's David Coverdale.
0: And you know I am one for strange statistics, so I'm going to give you one. You know they reformed in 2002, and at that point, VH1 named them the 85th greatest rock and roll band of all time. What a great stat.
2: (laughs) VH1, that's classic. Well, you know... uh, (laughs) They originally formed in 1978, so they've been at it over 40 years now. Pretty crazy. Hard to believe.
0: Yes, and Rhino has, and this is an exact quote from David Coverdale, most of their albums. And, of course, there's the Flesh and Blood World Tour going on.
2: Which is aptly named after their new record, Flesh and Blood. Indeed. David also talks with us about the Slided In Ultimate Special Collection. It's a brand-new 35th anniversary edition of Slided In, has six CDs, DVD, newly remastered versions of the album's UK and US mixes, unreleased live and studio recordings, music videos. It's loaded with amazing content, and he's going to tell us all about it.
0: You know, the only thing I'm concerned about is I'm going to have my headphones up way too loud. Well, if it's too loud, you're too old. Hey, <laughs> well, maybe so. But, you know, the time is right for David Coverdale and Whitesnake.
2: David Coverdale, welcome to the Rhino Podcast.
3: It's my honor. One of my favorite record labels on the planet. I only signed with you guys so I could get free catalog stuff.
2: <laughs> and how's it been so far for you?
3: Ah, cheap as a pair of French horse underpants. The, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Mark Pink has brought me a beautiful box set of Otis.
2: Oh, man. So Slide It In is celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. There's a deluxe edition release. Six million copies of the record have sold to date. That's quite
3: an achievement. Well, actually, I think it's a little bit more that we kept it quiet from the tax man. Uh, but yes, it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty happening and we achieved. I was thrilled for all of us because it was a, a team effort with the Rhino crew and with the White Snake creative team to put this thing together. And uh, we, we achieved number one in the UK first week, which was unbelievable for a seven disc set. Um, And the the response that we've had through social media where people can directly communicate with me through at David Cavadale on Twitter or our Instagram or whitesnake.com has been insanely positive, particularly with the new release, the new mix.
2: Well, how was it revisiting the album and putting together this deluxe edition package?
3: Well, it's interesting. After fighting uh, tooth and nail with UMG to, to get all the stuff uh, out of their warehouse that belongs to me, we were able to get pretty much every, all the elements necessary for us to put such a deluxe package together. And then also, with my new incredible sonic alchemist, Christopher Collier, We finished mixing my new studio album, Flesh and Blood, so quick, I had another week on his time. So I asked him if he'd heard of Slide It In... The good news was is it's his father's favorite album. I said, the only thing saving you is not his grandfather's favorite album, which is entirely <laughs> possible. But uh, he knew the album inside out. And it was the first time in 35 years, Rich, that I got to hear the individual tracks. So 50% of that beautiful band have passed. You know, oh, Cozy so Powell, sad. Mel yeah. Galley, and John Lord, uh, one of my... Well, just beautiful souls. So to hear them with the banter, you know, the conversation off the record and the, the amusements, which we've put as much decent uh, aspects of that onto the box set. But it was an incredibly emotional experience. And I, as, as crazy as it sounds, Christopher turned around to me, and said, are you OK? And I said, I'm feeling the presence, the energy of those guys. And it wow. was so validating to us. And I, I, I'm honest, I have no reason to lie or fabricate. It felt absolutely appropriate. And Christopher, I feel, has got a brand new, fresh mix out of a 35-year-old album. But yeah, it's, uh, it was a mixed blessing of appreciation and gratitude and sadness, as you can imagine.
2: Well this album and the US tour that followed it really laid the groundwork for the success of your 87 self-titled White Snake album, didn't it?
3: Well, thanks for noticing. Yeah, radio was insanely supportive of the slided in album, and really the difference being we had radio was chewing at the bit to get the eponymous White Snake or '87 album, but the new element in play was MTV. Oh, of course. And without any without any significant experience of this, we put together. Uh, three videos, Here I Go Again. Uh, Well, actually, The Still of the Night was the first one, Is This Love, and then Here I Go Again, within a 10-day period. Very wonderful creative people I worked with, and they became total iconic videos uh, discussed with me wherever I am in the world. They had a profound effect, particularly the song, on people's lives. But what MTV did, when it was a sensible 24-7 music platform, it took over the world. It saved me five hard years' work touring the U.S. to achieve the success that I did, at least, if not more. Wow. We were in everybody's living room. A lot of people don't talk about that. These videos kind of catapulted careers
2: much faster than they would have through the old regimen of touring.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah, you put some bands in there who'd never played a gig, but they knew how to make a box of Ritz crackers work. You know, so suddenly (laughs) they sold a million records. It was so bizarre. Fortunately, I had Deep Purple and all of that kind of stuff and my experience of success. But this was really a runaway train for four years. It was extraordinary. I think we may still have the Warner Brothers record for most albums sold between like 10 o'clock and noon or lunchtime, like three or (laughs) 400,000 copies. So that's a pretty good award to go next to my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: Well, said your label at the time, Geffen, insisted the album be remixed for the U.S. release. Were you open uh-huh. to this idea when they floated it? Uh, a-
3: absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, it's, I'd actually had uh, my bass player rejoin me, uh, and I'd found a new hotshot guitarist called John Sykes I stole from Thin Lizzy. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, if you guys want to remix, fine, but I want these two new guys on this copy— So I flew them over, and interestingly enough, when I was remixing it, I was really disappointed that Keith Olsen didn't use more of John Sykes' guitar playing. I was really surprised at the lack of it, and not very happy about it, to say the least. However, it is what it is. So that was one of my first lessons in being bullshitted by Geffen. (laughs) The first of many, I may add. But the cool thing was I rejoined the Warners family. I'd been on Warner Reprise with Deep Purple. And when I joined Geffen, Warner Brothers were distributing. Uh, So now that I'm back with Rhino stroke Warners, it's the third time with the Warner family. I couldn't be happier, brother.
2: Well, we're glad to have you.
3: And it's always been a ticket to success on both sides.
2: After the record came out, you guys went out on the road with both Dio and Quiet Riot. What were those shows like?
3: Well, the Dio tour, you know, God bless Ronnie. But it was kind of Mickey Mouse from the start. We only ended up playing six shows. It was total confusion. Very expensive to bring a band over from the UK. But we sold 800,000 albums from those six shows and got really got Geffen's attention. And then I'm Sitting in the Rainbow... Of all, of all strange places, um, <laughs> uh, the, like a day or two before flying back to London. And I bumped into a couple of members of Quiet Riot who were huge fans, and uh, whoever was supposed to be their special guest was bumped off, and they offered us their tour, which was, once again, more hundreds of thousands of records sold, and uh, very much appreciated it was. So all of that was setting up the 87 awareness factor, uh, which yeah. was amazing. And as I say, the MTV uh, put the frosting on the cake.
2: Oh, I'm sure. You must have been able to feel the momentum building with U.S. fans as you toured that record. Oh,
3: my, yeah, absolutely. It was a kind of British Van Halen at that time. It was the smallest uh, lineup that Whitesnake had. We had a side order of keyboards offstage, but it was uh, four members with uh, Cozy Powell, amazing Cozy Powell on drums, the very, mm. very excellent Neil Murray on bass, Incredible, and John John Sykes and I had yet to write these, these songs that are lasting forever, apparently um, right. so all of these things this was forged as a four piece, and a lot of the songs that we wrote ultimately for the eighty seven album became from that excitement seed. the actual eighty seven album, most of the arrangements of those songs. Were for Cozy Powell. And sadly, Cozy chose to take, I think, ELP. They had to have a P because she couldn't have <laughs> Simon Kirk. He couldn't be Elk, you know? So, yeah. and I think he regretted that decision, but we ended up with Ainsley Dunbar, who did a commendable job.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then let's talk about Cozy just for a second. When he came into the band, how did he augment or change your sound?
3: Oh, well, Cozy is a personality, God rest his soul. Cozy was an immense character, immense personality. Drummers are usually left in the back of the room. You know, nobody says, give us a drum pattern. It's give us a song, you know, if they see you. So there's like drum, some drummers have a little bit of resentment of not being in the front. But Cozy saw that and was very, very upfront as a musician. When I actually formed the Slided In band, I was won- I wanted musicians who were larger than life because I was starting to prepare music which was larger than and bigger in scope than what I'd been uh, known for up until then. If anybody hears the original Crying in the Rain from an album called Saints and Sinners uh, and then hears the rearrangement on the 87 album, that was center section, which is an amazing guitar solo, was all arranged for Cozy Powell to do his astonishing drum solo. However, now, for 30 years, Tommy Aldridge has owned that solo. But that was one of the reasons that we we did such a symphonic arrangement. That was to showcase Cozy, a a breathtaking character and and musician. Miss him deeply. Miss him dearly. But these are star musicians. You know, I get a lot of uh, people talking about my choice of guitarists from Ritchie Blackmore to Jimmy Page. But man, all my other players have been amazing. Ian Pace, you know, my drummers, bass players, all of the players in White Snake have been at the top of their game, you know?
2: Absolutely. But you
3: need a real, the way, for instance, if people are old enough, they go back and look at Jimi Hendrix's experience, a power trio, cream Uh, a power trio ginger baker astonishing almost playing on his own just but within the structure of three musicians and mitch mitchell being the perfect foil for Jimi hendrix improvising look at zeppelin zeppelin were like the hard rock version of the beatles every single one of them brought their personality and character into play which is what made them unique
2: well, let's talk about some of the tracks on Slide It In, and let's start with the singles in the order they were released. What do you remember about writing or recording Guilty of
3: Love? Well, interestingly enough, uh, prior to me waving Bon Voyage to Eddie Kramer, we were listening to the, the rough mixes and stuff. We're missing a single. We're missing something. And, and I felt very comfortable with what we achieved. And he said, do you have anything else? And I picked up a guitar and played... I believe my love for you is a love that will last forever. And he went, oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. So we uh, called everybody back into the studio, emptied a couple of bottles of gin and tonic and cognac (laughs) Hennessy, I think it was, with a liberal sprinkling of Coca-Cola. And then we (laughs) cut that track. I believe my love for you is a
1: love that will last forever. Don't you believe when I tell you I love you That I really mean it Don't you walk away Don't turn your back on me I'm guilty of love It's a crime of passion Guilty
3: of love We headlined 1983 Monsters of Rock uh, which is now download in the UK a huge festival and that's when we presented Guilty of Love for the first time and filmed it It's a big song It's a lot of fun how about Give Me More Time? When you say that, I immediately see the first performance we did on Top of the Pops, a British TV show, where I presented the two new guitar players with Mel Galley and John Sykes. After the limiting experience of writing for Deep Purple, I wanted to have a really broad, wide, creative umbrella in order to play all the kinds of music i like even interpolating classical music which i use greatly in the epics of white snake in terms of arranging usually a pop songs like a concerto of three movements but symphonies are four or five movements so that's it's significantly more interesting to me with the kind of the talent of musicians i use to really show them off within the musical structure not just the song unless it's compromising the song and then i withdraw it and scrape some of the colors off. Off. but part of my creative umbrella is soul music now if you take the big drums and the big guitars off give me more time it's a 60s soul song out of stacks or a of Tamla Motown with the four tops doing it you know i i just disguise it with big drums and big guitars but my love of of that era is always prevalent including my new studio album you The first big hit we had worldwide was a song called Fool for Your Loving in 1980. Mm-hmm. And that was originally written for B.B. King when he was playing with a group, a jazz funk group called Crusaders. And, you know, when I heard the demo, uh, Martin Birch, my producer at the time, and I looked at each other and said, I think we should keep this. <laughs> I said I said apologies to BB and literally we we had a I think it was top forty here, but we had like top ten, top five all over the world with it. It was the first kind of big single, and it was created as a demo for BB King.
2: I had read somewhere else, too, that you had written songs for, was it Tina Turner?
3: Yeah, that was Is This Love. I was very close to EMI, uh, who I'd been working with through Deep Purple. And they knew my modus operandi was to take all these cassettes with little bits and pieces of idea and take my my beautiful young daughter and my first wife and book a villa somewhere the south of france at this particular time in a place called about 40 miles from saint tropez and i rented uh, a beautiful villa of uh, a Czech film producer, a very good friend of mine. Early summer, it was beautiful. Sykes and I hadn't really communicated very much, but we, you can hear on the 87 box set that we put out in 2017, uh, the CD3 is called Evolutions. And this is the first time I was playing ideas to John to see if he connected with them, bounced off them, and could feed something back to me. And he heard me playing this ballad. And EMI had said Tina's looking for new songs. You know, bear that in mind when you're writing. I went sure. So I was writing this idea, ba-bum, 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 you know, thinking this is going to be a nice song for Tina. And Sykes came out of his room and said, "Oh, what's that?" And he sat down and started to jam along. And within like a couple of hours, "Is This Love" was born. And Geffen said, uh, 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 "You're not know, giving that to anyone. We want this, <laughs> quite rightly too." <laughs> Well, that was a huge hit for you guys. And continues to be. We just did a big deal with Amazon Music for it. (laughs) Uh, Good for you. Well done, Warner Brothers.
2: Let's talk about Slow and Easy. That's my favorite song on the record. It's got an undeniable riff in it, and mm. it reached number 17 on the mainstream rock chart in the U.S. That, that was your highest oh, charting did? single in the U.S. off that record.
3: Oh, my God, you surprised me. I hadn't, They never shared that with me. But anyway, the circumstance, that was 4 o'clock in the morning, my vocal... Most of the track is from 4 a.m. after we'd been partying in Munich. We made the album in, in München, Munich in West Germany. And we'd been out. It was an amazing town to party in. So we'd come back. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. And Mel and Cozy said, come on, let's go and play. Let's go and play. So all the Snake went down there, somewhat worse for wear. And I was just improvising that whole intro piece cozy said you're not changing that you're keeping that so when i wrote the lyrics out i had to try to pretend that those words actually made sense when it was an (laughs) improvisation all that intro piece is improvised and live live at four or five o'clock in the morning boys and girls well that's when you capture the magic well i'd I'd rather not repeat it at my age dear boy i'll have to capture (laughs) the magic a little bit earlier than that
2: (laughs) with a different type of beverage i'm sure
3: Oh my lord, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something- That was the other thing, listening recently doing the remix, because we did it earlier this year, and I swear to God, you could hear us. Mel and Cozy would get those big German Steins, but the glass versions, you know, the litre of beer, and they'd both use literally pour a bottle of Gordon's gin and Schweppes tonic and two full lemons at the end of the day. (laughs) accompanied by other stuff, and it wasn't model airplanes. Uh, But, you know, we all had, and and you can hear all the beverages being consumed on the the behind-the-scenes stuff on the slided-in box. It's a a fascinating journey for me. I'm not a nostalgia guy, Rich, but that just brought back some fabulous memories and freshened them up for me. It's a long time, 35 years.
2: Yeah, it is, it is. Let's talk about one more song off of Slatted
3: In, Love Ain't No Stranger. I'd rented John Lord's house in Henley, God rest his soul, and we'd set up in a garage or some big room there, and Mick Ralphs from Bad Company stopped by, yeah. he was one of John's neighbors, beautiful guy, super soul. And he said, Oh, how are you doing? And he 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 said, Can I put a guitar on? I said, Yeah. So what do you think of this? I haven't played it to the guys yet. And I played him the intro chords and sang, Who knows where the cold wind blows? And he went, Oh my God, you gotta do that, you gotta do that. So I had all of those elements and I just didn't have a hook. And uh, and Mel Galley, God bless him, just came in and hit the G chord, ba da da, da bah, bah, and that was it. The rest is history. It's one of the biggest songs we play in concert. Love
2: Congratulations on the release of your new White Snake album,
3: Flesh and Blood. I know. I'm kind of bitterly disappointed you guys didn't have it. But there you go. It is what it is. I'm working with my Italian stallions at Frontiers. We just had a a smash release with the Shut Up and Kiss Me video. Trouble is Your Middle Name, Huge Airplay, about to release Hey You, You Make Me Rock. It's it's like a collective B12 in our respective derriers as a band. We're ready to rock. The guys are just on fire to do these new songs. Well,
2: it sounds fantastic. Where did you guys record?
3: We recorded at my home studio in Reno in the beautiful, sun-drenched, well, actually snow-covered foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, the outskirts (laughs) of Reno. We have a full, high-definition Pro Tools studio with a, a media room and video editing. It's kind of the only thing we're not doing is making vinyl. White Snake was
2: founded in 1978. You've been doing this over 40 years now with this band. I mean, longer than that, on, you know, with other bands.
3: Yeah, I'm coming up to 50 years with uh, it's. I don't even want to go there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My assistant looks at me and goes, You're older than dirt.
2: Well, speaking of dirt, that's kind of a segue into this next question. It it seems to be a a resurgence of 80s hard rock and metal. There's a whole new set of fans. Mm. Uh, For instance, Motley Crue's The Dirt, you know, it shows how they almost killed themselves on the road. How did White Snake do it differently to avoid those pitfalls?
3: Well, you're going to have to wait for How White Was My Snake, which I'll be releasing in about 10 years. (laughs) And names will be named. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear that, Mr. Geffen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Did you guys have any ground rules for touring to kind of keep yourselves level-headed?
3: Uh, n- no. <laughs> the Purple Days stayed with me for quite some time, which was more debauched than the Roman emperors. You know, Caligula, my stop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Have you been noticing new fans coming to your shows, uh, a resurgence of interest in hard rock
3: with new fans, the younger kids? It's never been a way. You know, I reformed, uh, put Whitesnake together in 2003. We don't actually look for work. Work gets offered to us. That's great. Um, Which is amazing. We have an extraordinary supportive base of uh, foundation of fan support throughout the world. You know, and that's evident through our social media. We reach millions of people every day. White Snake is a global entity. And I've realized I'm playing to four generations when I'm performing concerts. Not so much in the US, where they have strict age rules when alcohol is being served, but Mm -hmm. in the rest of the world, where they don't give a monkey's bottom. As little kids sitting on top of young kids, and you know, it's it's quite amazing. People who started following me back in the Purple Days, it's it's pretty. Wow. They're usually sitting down.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, tell us about the White Snake lineup you've got going on right now. Is this the best one you've ever had?
3: Well, I don't make comparisons, but it's the first time I've ever not had to be a referee for both my guitar players, and they're amazing. I've got Red Beach and Joel Hoaxra on amazing guitars, Mm -hmm. Michael Devin on bass, Tommy Aldridge on drums, and uh, the ageless Tommy Aldridge on drums, and the very capable Italian stallion Michele Lupi on keyboards and vocals. I've got great singers. This is definitely... A Band of Brothers, it really is one of my favorite. I don't like comparisons on any level, but this is a grand bunch of guys. It's an honor uh, and very inspiring, by the way. When you hear the album, this is a collective effort. It's a band album. You can hear that. It's a solid band. The band is supporting each of the musicians there. Very reciprocal, very respectful, and personally, I'm dining out on it.
2: Fantastic! Well, we get to see them all in action in the first video from Flesh and Blood. Shut up and kiss me! Yeah, really fun video. It racked up over a million views just in the first month after it was released. That's amazing.
3: This is incredible.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's a classic. Sounding good time rocker from White Snake. And if it's any indication about the rest of the album, it's just going to be a killer.
3: No, no, yeah. It's the album's very solid, very consistent. Uh, It's the first time I've written with Red Beach and Joel uh, Hoekstra (laughs) orchestra, because he is like an orchestra, you know, (laughs) individually. And first time I've written with two collaborators on two of the songs on the album. It's uh, a breath of fresh air for me. We've got a new Sonic Wizard in. um, a guy called Christopher Collier, he's just, mm-hmm. he just turned 40 years old, recommended to me by both Reb and Joel, and he came in and just brought a freshness to an existing house of Whitesnake, but a beautiful fresh coat of sonic paint. Uh, so it's just very exciting for me to, to hear everything works. The band works, there's no weak links, there's, you know, production's solid. The fun is evident,
2: if that's your first song that you guys came up with with Reb and Joel, I think we've got great things coming in the
3: future. Yeah, I refused to actually commit to make an album till I sat down with those guys individually to see, you know, if we had a musical conversation as well as our friendship, uh, and I'm very happy to say it worked admirably, as you can hear on the record. Yeah. We wrote actually 18 new songs in 2017. Well, the video,
2: which is a really fun video, everybody's got to go check it out if you haven't seen it yet, features a car Mm -hmm. steeped in white snake folklore.
3: Indeed, the white Jaguar makes a sexy reappearance. Uh yeah, it could get laid on its own that car.
2: <laughs> it's amazing that you still have that jag. What kind of TLC did it need
3: after taking it out of deep storage? We put it into once we decided to, to tie that into the inserts of the video, because initially it was just a performance video. Yeah. Um so you know fortunately uh, I can still get into the Anthony Price suit I wore in the original Hero Go again video, uh but the jag needed some t l c at Jaguar in Reno. I think it's uh seventy nine eighty Uh Um, So a lot of it, they had to go on eBay to jag enthusiasts and see if they had a bit of this and a bit of that. But when you see that car make its around-the-corner appearance, it's just, oh, my God. And then suddenly I get out of the car and it goes from 87 to 2019. It's pretty fun.
2: It's a time machine.
3: Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It was. We were going to sell the car when Hard Rock was a, a big deal, the Hard Rock franchise. We were talking with a guy about they wanted to buy it and send it around the world at different Hard Rock places. And I thought that would be great because she was an old girl and I knew she'd be preserved. And I was already into Range Rovers by that time, living in the mountains. And, uh, and then the, the people we were negotiating with had uh, an unfortunate demise. So I just put it in, in very temperature controlled storage. When we did the Jag shot, it was ground rules because I didn't want anybody thinking that we were being disrespectful in any way, shape, or form to the Here or Go Again experience, which is yeah. iconic on its own. This was sure. literally just for fun, and everybody, all of the even these young people, it's so iconic, were coming in and oh, can we take a picture with the car? Can we take a so that was. The whole premise, it just built itself. It was really cool. It was a family affair for me. I flew my son and his beautiful girlfriend, who's the, the girl in the glowing catsuit looking like uh, an angel. Uh-huh. And my son, who is the lucky guy, it's his girlfriend, got to kiss. Uh, then my wife comes in at the end, plants a big one on my cheek. And God knows what we do in the Jag before driving off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the way it was received was extraordinary. Extraordinary. It's getting a ton of views on YouTube. Oh my lord, yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about a couple other tracks on Flesh and Blood. Uh, Tell us about Trouble is Your Middle Name.
3: Trouble is Your Middle Name is when you see somebody and you are absolutely attracted to that person and you know it's it's only going to be dangerous. Uh, That's that kind of... The theme that that is actually, it's very similar to something. A song called "Love No Stranger" is about making mistakes when you're in a uh, relationship, but you see something that is absolutely irresistible, and you have to go for it, knowing that trouble is her or his middle name.
2: And tell us about one more song off of Flesh yeah. and Blood, Hey You.
3: Hey You, You Make Me Rock. That's literally a song to the audience. We have what we call the White Snake Choir, people who just sing along with everything we do and are more than welcome and are encouraged to do so. That's a song I can't wait to play live. Yeah, it's one of the, what I call White Snake Epics, which is, as we discussed once before, more symphonic in the arranging. Than the normal straightforward stuff, you know, like uh, good to see you again or gonna be all right. This is like one of those white snake epics, you don't know where it's gonna take you next. Lightning.
2: You guys are currently on tour. Yes. What does the set list look like on the current Whitesnake tour?
3: Exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we are gluttons for having a lot of songs that people want to hear. So pretty much 60% of the white snake show is spoken for. Of course this time out we'll be playing respects to the 35th anniversary of the Slided in album and I'm hoping mm, hoping that we can get within the time allotted that we could get at least 5 but I would imagine more like four songs from the new record. It's going to depend on you know how long we have cuz I mean When I said to the band, what do you want to do live? Everybody's going, oh, this, oh, that. It's like they want to do the whole album. Mm -hmm. Rehearsals were great. (laughs) We We fought over certain songs and whoever won the fight, the song's in there.
2: Well, I see that you have my buddies The Black Moods opening for you on a lot of the yeah. shows of the tour. How'd you find out about those guys?
3: Well, um, we're all very conscious of somebody who's going to be appealing to a white snake crowd, and uh, these guys have got a great bluesy, enthusiastic uh, vibe to them, and I thought it'd be a perfect premise for them and for a good fit for both of us. Very, very competent band, very much so.
2: Everybody should go check out all the tour dates coming up. You're in the middle of the U.S. tour right now. Then you go to Europe. And in September, you're playing Rock in Rio again. What makes that festival so special for you?
3: Well, we opened and closed the first Rock in Rio festival. We were in Rio for 10 days, dude. (laughs) Wow. Best friends with the chief of police. I flew, actually, to Rio with Freddie, Freddie Mercury. Uh, we were on the same flight together in a pretty much empty first class from Frankfurt to Rio. Well, we'd known each other for years. You know, Brian still yeah. comes to all my shows. I'm delighted they had such success with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. some Somewhat of a different story that I know, but it was enormously successful. So I'm thrilled for the guys. It was an amazing experience. I treasure... The idea of being invited back. And, of course, South America, Brazil, Argentina, they're incredible hotbeds of support for Whitesnake and what we do.
2: Well, one thing that I've noticed when I was listening previously to your Unzipped release, listening to, as you say, the Whitesnake Choir, everybody singing along, it seems in foreign countries where English is not the primary language, these people know all of your lyrics and they all sing along. It's amazing.
3: Well, I think they get the feeling, and uh, now with digital wonderment, uh, you can get lyrics actually on your phone. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, from the very beginning of White Snake, we had people wanting to sing along with us, and and to me, which is when we came up with it was Newcastle City Hall on the very first tour, '78, I think, uh, that I'm singing a, an old blues song by Bobby Bland called "Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City," and I've My eyes are closed, I'm in the zone, and I'm going, what's that noise? And I open my eyes, and the whole audience is doing like a soccer crowd of swaying and singing, eyes closed, singing along with me. I'm going, wow, the the song had been out for five minutes. It was ridiculous. So from then on, I became the choir master encouraging people (laughs) to sing with us, and it's... uh, it's one of one of my favorite onstage experiences. That that sharing aspect. It's it's amazing. Japan, sing every word. The you know, it's, it's wonderful.
2: Is there any greater validation of your craft?
3: Well, I, I don't know. I've yet to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, White Snake's new album, Flesh and Blood, is out and available now. David and the band are on tour the rest of the year. Make sure you go out and catch them. David Coverdale, thank you so much for your time today.
3: My pleasure, Rich. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you.
0: You know, Rich, as I was saying off camera, or in this case, maybe off microphone, White Snake was never my full-on jam, but I learned so much.
2: White Snake got so massively popular in the 80s thanks to MTV just hammering their videos and they toured all the time. I think it's really a testament to the music to see how popular they still are today around the world, still playing rock and Rio, and they're still having a blast doing it. Thanks again to David Coverdale for giving us some of his time today. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino podcast. Executive producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by PopCult and Rich Mahan Promotions. All rights reserved.